I have a confession to make. I'm not sure that I am quite ready yet for Easter. A part of me is, a part of me wants to say hooray and shout for joy. But another part of me that I'm afraid at this moment is still the larger part is hesitant, isn't quite sure, feels like this shift towards joy and gladness might be just moving a little too fast for me. And maybe I'm not alone. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Imagine with me, if you will, that first Easter morning about 2,000 years ago. These three women who were close to Jesus, who loved him, who had been following him for a long time now, they got up their nerve to go to the grave the day after the Sabbath so they could anoint his body, which was their custom. Let's notice that the men who were Jesus' companions, the ones we now call the disciples, they were nowhere to be found. Typical, some of you are thinking, I know. And you're right, at least to some degree, right? You're right. The men have scattered, and they're probably in hiding. And neither were they around on the day that Jesus was killed. But the text tells us the women, plenty of them, they were there watching at a distance on that day too. And so these three women on the way to anoint Jesus' body, they wonder who is going to move the stone that's covering the entrance to the tomb. But when they arrive, they discover it has already been rolled away, this big rock. And the body of their friend and their beloved leader, he is gone. And they hear these words, he is risen He is going before you to Galilee. The first and the oldest version of the story, it ends right here with the women running away because as the text says, they were trembling and they were amazed and they were afraid. And who wouldn't be? What has happened here anyway? Put yourself in their place. Can you imagine yourself at the grave of one that you loved, who has died. And you show up there and you find the grave empty. Are any of you going to be saying in that moment, Alleluia, she is risen? I don't think so. You're going to be able to pivot that fast from grief and despair to joy and celebration? Wouldn't most of us be saying, what in the world has happened here? And what do we do now? Who among us hasn't felt that way, at least now and then over these past two years? What in the world is happening here? And what do I and what do we do now? We've been through so much uncertainty and disorientation, haven't we? There must be a part of each of us that is 
more than ready to burst out of whatever this is that has been holding us back. So if you're ready to rejoice with your whole heart, please do not let me stop you. I don't want to be a killjoy because we need all the joy and celebrating we can get, right? But as for me, I still have a little bit of work to do. Reverend Gretchen Haley's words keep ringing in my ears in these days. Roll away the stone of your hesitant heart. Let the light shine on all the sleeping shadows. Awaken to this day. Roll away the stone of your hesitant heart. I need to hear this because my heart, it is hesitant these days. I've gotten kind of used to lowering my expectations. Anybody with me? I'm wary of hoping and then having those hopes disappointed. I'm weary, anybody with me, of all the changes and adaptations that we've been through on this journey. I want and need to awaken to a new day and embrace a new season and even to feel some unadulterated joy for a change. Anybody with me? But it's kind of a lot to have all of that at once, isn't it? It may take a little bit of time. Like those women on the way to the tomb, these days I am asking, who will roll away the stone? Who will roll away the stone from this hesitant heart? How is that going to happen? Isn't that why we are here, my friends? Isn't that why we gather to hear the old story and to picture ourselves in it, to seek what it has to say to us in these days and in the particular places of our lives, and through this to open ourselves to a wider and more expansive and more hopeful view. Isn't that why we are here? One of my crit critiques of some strands of contemporary Christianity is how individualistic it can be and how dependent it can be on right belief. When the early followers of Jesus were not like that at all, they were all about community and they certainly weren't of one mind about what had happened. How could they be? They had been through so much with him and it ended so suddenly and so badly. How long does it take to mourn one that you have loved and lost? How long does it take to make meaning from an event that has suddenly but forever changed you? More than two or three days, don't you think? Something happened to those friends and followers of Jesus after his torture and death. 
They remembered what it had been like when he was in their midst and how they felt the Spirit more vividly when he was near. And in some moments, it was like he was still with them. And they told stories about this, walking down a dusty road or fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Wait, could that have been him? We don't know what happened, but something happened. And the stories of this teacher and healer whom death could not contain spread across the Mediterranean and across the world. 2,000 years later, we have religion still because of this human problem that we have. Being alive and knowing that we are going to die and knowing that all those we love, they are going to die too. Different religions have addressed this problem in different ways. But none of us know for sure on this side of the grave what awaits us after this life. None of us know for sure. I don't believe in magic. I don't think that there are forces out at work outside the natural laws of this universe we live in. But I do believe that there is a spirit world that I can't explain, that I have caught glimpses of from time to time, that we are part of a great and abiding love whose energy is so vast and deep and at the same time so subtle and elusive, and, and that in this energetic field of love, we are connected across time and space to one another, to those that we have loved and lost. I believe that Jesus was a person who was particularly full of this love and particularly gifted at sharing it, at making it available to others, which is why he is called the Christ, the Anointed One, which is why he lives on in these stories and in the lives of his followers. The invitation that Easter throws at us every year at this time is this. It asks us, how are we going to live in the face of the empty tomb? In a world that knows so much about sadness and despair, are we going to open ourselves to the promise and the possibility of resurrection, of new life in the midst of death? That's what Easter asks of us. That's what the empty tomb asks of us. And I hear those questions and the answer in the words of the UU theologian, Rebecca Parker, who writes, in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anathetization or evil 
There moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. That which is sacred will not be defiled. Easter asks us, are you going to resign yourself to decay and destruction and death? Or will you choose life? Will you choose to bless this world? As our Buddhist friends remind us, suffering is simply a part of life. We are mortal, each of us. Those we love, they are mortal too. We are all going to die. Who knows what comes after that? What matters is how we live in these days that we have been given. I am as prone to fear and worry and hesitancy as any of you, which is why I need Easter and its call to live a braver, more wholehearted, and more daring life. We know enough about traveling the way of pain and brokenness and loss, right? And Easter doesn't deny any of these things. It just says suffering and death, they are not the end of the story. The empty tomb is like a sentence that doesn't have a period on it. It's like a story that hasn't ended and that we are enacting and that we are still adding to with the testimonies of our particular lives. These hearts, these souls, these precious bodies we have been given for a time. Today begins a season of imagining and embodying a life in which we already have enough and which we already are enough. It may take some time to embody this. It might help if you need help to look in the mirror in the morning and say, I'm enough already. Today's a good day to start. And I am ready for that. And how about you? So here again, some of David White's questions about this way of living a more wholehearted and daring life. I want to know if you belong or feel abandoned. If you know despair or can see it in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in this world with this harsh need to change you. If you can look back with firm eyes saying, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love and the bitter, unwanted passion of your sure defeat. 
This is Easter's invitation and call. In the light and in the shadows, to live as fully as we can these lives that we have been given. To be wholehearted and daring, seeing your own life as a resurrection story. Healing and blessing one another and our world, and of course, singing as we go. Singing made like him, like him we rise, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Alleluia and amen.